powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bob and Stacy on Seattle Sports Station. Powered by Kitsap Credit Union. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. Here we go now. All right, joining us in just one moment, Bob Condota of the Seattle Times. Before we get to it, breaking news just a minute ago, Cardinals wide receiver A.J. Green announced his retirement from the NFL after 11 seasons. Bump, something about A.J. Green has always got me thinking that he's this, like, super young receiver and, like, oh, next year he's going to get back to, you know, 1,000 yards, 1,000 yards. He's 34 years old. Probably the right call for him. Probably. He looks young, man. You look at him in his face. He looks young. You look at his body, 6'4", 207, super lean. But, yeah, he had some good years. He's a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7-time Pro Bowler. His first seven years in the league, he made it to the Pro Bowl. Um, took 2019 off last three. He's been with Cincy in Arizona. So, man, sad to see him go, but a yeah. great career for this guy for sure that's absolutely right uh joining us right now on the emerald queen casino sportsbook hotline bob condota of the seattle times bob how's it going good how are you guys doing uh we're great i mean we've been talking about gino today we're talking about uh the 49ers and eagles quarterback situation in the nfc west all kinds of stuff so uh we're probably going to touch a lot of those bases uh while you're on with us i'm going to start with gino uh gino smith was uh on the pivot podcast the other day talking about contract negotiations with seattle have you heard anything on that front and or what's your gut tell you um yeah it was interesting he kind of talked about uh, that they had some talks because that wasn't really how the you know John Snyder had characterized it uh, a week before when he did some interviews, kind of saying that you know they're going to start the process, but it hadn't really gotten going yet. Um, my sense is there's probably there's probably a middle you know the the truth is probably in the middle of that. Um, I'm sure they probably had some talks and trying to get kind of the the basics of what they're doing. You know, Gino's agents are guys the Seahawks know really well. Uh, he's with the Wasserman Group. Um, that's headed up by Doug Hendrickson, who was the, um, the football division. It's headed up by Doug Hendrickson, who's the, who was the agent for Marshawn Lynch, Michael Bennett, the Trufant family. Um, he has a couple other Seahawks now, I know. So, uh, you know, it takes five seconds for them to get in touch and start talking um, when they really want to get going. So, uh, you know, it's, it's just going to be what, what Gino wants, you know, what, he th- what his expectations are, and if the Seahawks can meet that, and if they, if they feel like that fits in within the framework of everything else they've got to get done. Um, you know, I think it, I, I think it is worth remembering. I mean, we all sort of know this, but you know, Pete Carroll made it really clear after after the uh, 49ers loss, you know, how they really need to do some things to kind of fix up their lines and especially on defense. And so, you know, they are going to want to maintain as much flexibility as they can to do that, and you know, and not just doing it solely through the draft. Bob um, Gino mentioned he doesn't want to be disrespected. Then he also says, you know, but uh, you know, your value isn't in your contract, but he's. He's saying all the right things. What would a disrespectful offer look like to Gino? I'm sorry, you broke out there just for a second. What what would a what uh, what, what would a okay. disrespectful offer oh, just, look like? Yeah. Um that's a really good question. Um, you know, I, I that's the kind of thing I think again that you work it out with the agent and you and maybe that never even gets to Gino. And if you recall, that's kind of the stuff, you know, that uh John talked about with Bobby Wagner being his own agent, where he felt like that made that difficult because when you're talking directly to the player as opposed to the agent, you know, that's where feelings can get a little more hurt there. Um, you know, I, I think Gino's going to want something that is, you know, a two or three year, a two or three year deal that kind of, that for sure, uh, you know, doubles, uh, 
maybe triples the, the seven million he made last year and puts him into the, kind of that different stratosphere of quarterback. Uh, you know, I think that's where they have to figure out is, you know, is, I mean, Gino could maybe just regard the franchise tag at the 32.4 million there is like, why should I take anything less than that? If that's the number you for sure have to give me, if you for sure want to keep me without me hitting the market, um, you know, so maybe something that it guarantees him at least that much money, but then, you know, spread that out over a couple of years. Uh, you know, I, I think there's a place where it can be a number less than that franchise tag number if it's spread out over a couple of years and guarantees him more, you know, in total money than the franchise tag number would guarantee you for the one year. Because ultimately that's what you're looking at is how much money am I actually going to get over the life of this contract? Not just, you know, not just, you know, the average per year number that can really be misleading at times. Um, we've been debating whether or not uh, signing Gino, let's say it's around the franchise tag price. So it doesn't obviously have to be 32 as a hit this year, but let's say it's like 32 or 30 average annual value. Does that keep you from adding in free agency this year? Um, does it make it a lot harder? I mean, how do you look at it as the balance between signing Gino and making the defense better? Well, that's the thing. I, I mean, they won't sign him to a contract. I, I would be stunned anyway if they signed him to a contract that had a cap number for this year anywhere close to that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that's where you that's where you uh, massage the back end of the deal and, and you know, put, have a lot of the cap hits be in future seasons so that you do have it for this year. So you can easily do that. And that's why, you know, I, nobody would think they would actually um, – use the franchise tag and actually have him sign on the franchise tag and have to take that off for the one year. You know, I don't think anybody would expect that would happen. And, uh, so I think, um, 30, 30 million obviously would make it far more difficult to do anything for, for the team this year. Uh, so you don't want to have to do that. And they do have some other things they need to do. They're probably going to have to, you know, uh, cut a few players or maybe restructure a few contracts of some veteran guys. Um, you know, Shelby Harris and Quentin Jefferson and, um, you know, Gabe Jackson kind of have, or, or maybe three veterans you look at who have contracts that you could do something with to kind of free up some more money to do some things and to try to fit Gino, Gino's deal into that as well. You know, the good news is they don't really have that many other of their own free agents to have to do. Mm-hmm. And they don't really have anybody that's, you know, like DK Metcalf situation last year, who's somebody who's going into his final year who you really feel like you got to do something big with this offseason either. So, you know, Gino is really the really big one of their own that they've got to do. And then they can, and then they will have a lot of other flexibility soon anyway to, to do some things to, to get some guys from the outside. Bob, lots of injuries on this defense. We uh, we know that the focus, at least we hope, some of us, that the focus of the draft would be to address the defensive linemen. But that second level was banged up too. Do you see a world where the Seahawks start the season with Cody Barton and uh, Tanner Muse as your starting inside linebackers? Um, no, I don't. No, no I, I wouldn't expect that. I, I would expect they would they would do something there for sure to, to, to bring in, you know, either through the draft or, or veteran free agents or something like that to, to, to have that look a little bit different. Um, Bob, uh, Drew Locke, obviously still an unrestricted free agent, Bump brought up like potentially uh, looking at uh, some other guys in there. If they do, um, you know, start stocking up uh, with offense. They have a couple different needs. We've been talking defense, defense, defense. Is there uh, a point in the draft that you see them adding quarterback, wide receiver, um, tight end, any of these positions we're talking about just a little bit less? Yeah, I mean, I'm still on the bus that I don't rule out them taking a quarterback in the first round if one's there. You know, I I think it's, you you can sign Gino and have him be your guy for right now, but 
you know, it's a rare opportunity to draft as high as, as they are this time and potentially be able to find a quarterback. You know, quarterbacks on rookie deals are the most valuable asset, a good quarterback anyway, mm-hmm. on a rookie deal is the, most, is the most valuable asset you can have in the NFL. And so, you know, part of the draft is just, is just acquiring assets. You're, you know, we always look at it specifically as the team right now this year. What, what are they going to do? But, you know, I think sometimes you do got to take that, that longer approach to it as well. And, um, you know, nobody in 2012, after they signed Matt Flynn to that deal, thought, thought, thought quarterback was a need in the draft. But then they, you know, drafted uh, – drafted Russell Wilson in the third round. And, you know, that was one of the main reasons that pick got, pick got um, you know, criticized as much as it did because people were like, well, why are you drafted a quarterback when you signed, signed one? But, you know, John comes out of that, that Green Bay that Green Bay model of, uh, you know, always making sure you have a couple of quarterbacks on your roster because you never know, you know, you never know what might happen. And, and if nothing else, you, you acquire a really good asset. So um, I think they definitely could do that. And then receiver for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think they, they, you know, they, they've got obviously a great uh, two-man duo in Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, but, um, you know, Tyler Lockett also only has a couple years left on his contract and is, uh, and is on the, you know, getting on the other side of 30 now. And so you could definitely, I think, look at, look to try to get a, a young receiver to, to come in and, and, uh, you know, kind of like when they drafted Tyler in 2015 and they still had, you know, Doug Baldwin and some other guys then, but, you know, he, he becomes the, one of the other guys for a couple of years and then maybe down the road becomes a guy that you could, uh, you know, could kind of be the successor for that. So I, I definitely see receiver as a spot they could go. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I'd see it in the, in the first round, but um, you know, with one of those five of the top 84 picks that they currently have. And if they turn that into something more in the top 90 or 100 or something like that, I definitely could see that. Bob, the Pro Bowl games were this weekend, and I was interested. I didn't know what to expect. Obviously we've seen some of these events before, but uh, we saw Geno Smith carve up a defense during the 7-on-7 deal. I understand that's not real football. We saw the longest drive, tic-tac-toe. Uh, what were your overall thoughts of Pro Bowl weekend? Do you think this is something, this is a format that they should keep up, or do you expect some type of tweaks? I would expect some tweaks. Um, you know, they, they are really trying to find a way to honor these guys and give them and give them a reward for making it to the Pro Bowl, but obviously without anybody getting hurt and, you know, kind of why they went away from why the Pro Bowl game became what it did. You know, I'm so old. I remember, you know, in the seventies, the Pro Bowl was an actual deal (laughs) and guys, you know, guys took it seriously. The the money was enough that, 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 that that it meant something to actually win the game. And, but guys did, did get hurt and things like that. And, you know, through the years, uh, it made no sense anymore to really let guys kind of just go at it and potentially risk injury, obviously. And, in a game that doesn't matter. And so, um, you know, I, I think it's a good start to trying to find a different way to go. And I certainly think, you know, the flag football game, I thought definitely has some potential and, and uh, you know, some of the other things around it, but I would expect that there, there will be some tweaks to it. it. It will be interesting to me if they, you know, if when they talk to the players and if the players felt it was worth it, you know, to kind of be down there for the four or five days to kind of have that, have that thing, you know, the Pro Bowl has always been that where, you know, the guys used to always go to Hawaii for a week and stuff like that. Cause you were actually kind of practicing a little bit trying to put together a team, but you know, does everybody need to be down there for a week? If, if all you're doing is what, you know, we saw yesterday, but uh, you know, maybe the players enjoyed it and will want to keep going that route. It'll be interesting to see sort of the reaction as they, as, as we get a little further away from this. Hey, Bob, looking ahead to free agency, uh, Bump and I have talked about this a bit, but who are one or two Seahawks free agents where you think they cannot afford to let this guy go? That's the thing. I, I don't know how many of those they have. I mean, it's it's a weird year that way. I mean, Geno Smith, obviously, right. but, um, you know, I, I don't know how, how um, you know, Puna Ford is the other kind of big money free agent that they have. Um, 
you know, you know where you, you look at him and, and uh, it was, you know, Pete Carroll's comments after the season were really interesting about how they used him, you know, that they would probably want to just uh, stick him back to being a nose tackle. If he does come back, who knows if Puno wants to do that, you know, Puno might, might decide that this is a time when, when maybe he'd be a better fit somewhere else. But, you know, the, the subtext was definitely that he was sort of the guy that, with the tweaks they made the, the defensive line and how they went about it and sort of the different responsibilities for guys. He was probably the guy that it, did, it wasn't quite as good a fit as what they had done in the past. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, you know, they've got some, restri- I mean, Ryan Neal and, uh, is obviously a guy with the restricted thing and you're going to want to figure that out. And Michael Jackson's a, an exclusive rights guy. So, so there's not even really a decision to be made there, but you know, you look a, a, along a, a lot of the other ones. And I think there's, you know, I don't know if anybody is somebody that you're, you're going unless I'm, I should have the list right in front of me here to make sure I'm not I'm not missing anybody. But um, but uh, when I've gone through it, I haven't. You know, this feels a lot different than other years. And obviously, they they already got one done at Jason Myers. And you know, I think that was part of why they wanted to do that. Was he was a the guy they definitely wanted to get back. But um, you know, a lot of their free agents are sort of just guys that you know were, were depth guys and stuff like that. They don't have a whole ton of uh, of, of starters out there. Hey, weird question that I'm just thinking of now as you're answering, because Bump and I kind of thought the same thing, where Bump went through the list and was like, hey, here's who I wouldn't let walk. But it, he kind of came to the same conclusion where it's like there's not a ton of guys on there. In previous years, uh, we've heard Pete and John say, hey, look, don't expect us to make any big, splashy free agent moves because some of the free agents are going to be our own guys. We want to make sure we have back. If we're looking at a season where there aren't quite as many of those guys for Seattle, do do you think that we see maybe one or two more free agents than we normally would for Seattle this year signed outside free agents? Yeah, you certainly could. Um, you know, part of why they're where they are like this is because, you know, the, just the last couple of draft classes that they are getting a lot from those guys are all just still under contract, obviously, yeah. you know, all the guys from last year. And then you did resign DK. You did resign Jason, you know, last summer to prevent him from becoming a free agent now and just some of the other veterans that they have. But yeah, it's a little bit of a, of, of a different time there. And it, maybe it shows, you know, some of the other draft classes from earlier times, guys who would be becoming free agents now, but you know, maybe they didn't get as much out of, out of some of those guys, you know, you know, uh, Fairly, fairly or not, nobody's worried whether they're going to re-sign L.J. Collier, you know, your first-round pick four years ago, who now becomes a, a free agent. You know, in years past, that was a, you know your top draft pick, and was that was a guy you you, you were you were going to be worried about re-signing. So it's just kind of a, maybe a mix that way. But that's where it's going to come down to Gino and his contract a little bit, and, and what they get done there, and then just how much space they do have. It's always, you know, it's always amazing how how fast. Uh, cap space goes and the other thing to keep in mind is with 10 draft picks you know that's more caps and and with five that are pretty high really in the top 84 that's more cap space you know maybe about 10 million dollars you're going to have to spend on just on just your rookies right now um you know and then who knows if you end up with more picks there we're what you do there but right now i think it's estimated about 9.6 for their rookie for just the 10 picks that they have right now to fill that out so you know that's essentially 10 million right there as well and when you sign Sign Gino, and then and then when you do resign or or tender the you know restricted and exclusive rights guys and get those under, that's more cap space that you know no one player is all that much, but you add it up and it suddenly becomes a little bit. You know, I think they have 48 guys under contract right now. So, um, you know, I, I I don't know if their overall approach to free agency is going to change drastically. You know, they, they still I think always um, maybe get a guy or two early and then kind of wait to see you know how the market goes with some of these positions and. Uh, um, try to get some cheaper guys, you know, sort of the way it worked so spectacularly well for them in 2013 when that kind of happened with, with uh, 
Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill, you know, where they sort of got passed over in the initial wave and the Seahawks were able to get them, I think, for a lot more, for a lot less money than everybody expected they would. Um, and the other free agent, as I look at it, I'm reminding myself, who's really curious to me is, is Rashad Penny and, and what they want to do with him. I, you know, Rashad played, I thought, really well this year when he was healthy. Obviously, his health's been the big issue, and I don't think you'd resign him to another contract at almost $6 million like they did last year. But the running back market, there's a lot of running backs out there, and uh, people are already kind of talking about most of the running backs on that list are probably going to be disappointed because of the fact that there are so many of them. Um, you know, nobody's going to have to pay a lot to get to get any of them, probably, because they can just kind of go down the list. And so, um, you know, Rashad might be a guy who doesn't get a whole lot of offers, and, and you might end up being able to bring him back for a lot less money. And, and to me, that would that would be worth doing. All right. He is Bob Condota of the Seattle Times. Make sure you are reading his coverage in the Seattle Times and seattletimes.com. As we work now, not just through the Super Bowl, but on into free agency, that franchise tag period opening up, by the way, pretty soon here. Thanks so much, Bob. Take care. All right. Again, that was Bob Condota on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Let's get to Headline Rewrites. Headline Rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bob and Stacey. Headline number one, to the surprise of many, it's the Dallas Mavericks that were the team Kyrie Irving was traded to over the weekend. What's the real headline? Finally, Kyrie gets a chance to play with a superstar. It's what his career's been missing, don't you guys think? Yeah, he's missing a one-two combo. Yeah. Never had that opportunity. He's never never had the chance to be surrounded by talent. Oh, my God, I'm sorry. I'm looking at these uh, rosters that he's been on. This headline is uh, is clearly sarcastic because talent has never been standing in the the way for Kyrie Irving. He's played with LeBron, Tatum, Brown, KD. He's played with a lot of dudes, man, and it something always seems to go wrong with Kyrie if it comes to philosophy, him playing, all the extra stuff that happens off the court. You never know, man. Maybe he figures something out with the Mavericks, but he has to realize that this is Luka's team. He's not coming in and dominating. Luka's the second-leading scorer in the league. Drops a bunch of dimes, plays 36 minutes. He's got to coexist, and that's been an issue for this young man. Uh, the Mavs, by the way, sent over Dorian Finney-Smith as well as Spencer Dinwiddie, plus an unprotected 2029 first-round pick and second-round picks in 27 and 29. Brooklyn still looking to upgrade their own roster ahead of Thursday's deadline. Headline rewrites. Headline number two, speaking of trades, the Kraken added some bulk yesterday by trading for 6'6 defenseman Jacob Megna from the San Jose Sharks. What's the real headline? The Kraken added a huge dude after Matty Beneers got hurt. Yeah. Headline in full. Yeah. <laughs> forget the name, forget the team, forget the trade details, Throwing which was a conditional fourth here. round pick. It was get a big body in here. To, to add some protection for Matty Beneers when he's back. Oh, by the way, Matty Beneers back at practice today. To all my hockey dudes out there, I just want to know what Jacob's Tilly game is like. Right. You're going to be able to protect for sure. Matty Beneers, throw them hands, drop the mitts, let's yeah. go. But uh, I guess they're getting better uh, defensively, but yeah, 6'6 defense, man, man, if he's 6'6, what is he like, 6'9 on the ice with the skates and all that stuff? Probably. Goodness gracious. Yeah, keep adding, get better, get more better, I'm with that. Him uh, Jamie Alexiak is 6'7", 257. You got some, you got some beef up front there. Yeah, just two seven-footers out there on the ice. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. It's like uh, Twin Towers, like Hakeem and Ralph Sampson. Oh, jeez. Houston Rockets. Just huge dudes out there where you're like, you know what? I'm going to stay away from these guys. 
headline rewrites. Headline number three, the Arizona Cardinals have reportedly narrowed their list of head coaching candidates to Brian Flores, Mike Kafka, and Lou Anarumo. What's the real headline? Not yet narrowed down their list of starting quarterbacks in week one. Why is this the real headline? Because head coach slash offensive coordinator is not the only thing the Cardinals have to figure out. We don't know that Kyler Murray, who's coming back from a torn ACL, will be ready in week one. Lots of question marks for Arizona heading into 2023, which is good news for the Seahawks uh, as long as those question marks don't turn out uh, to result in a pretty nice team. Yeah, Arizona got to figure some things out, man. Um, Brian Flores is a guy who I think will provide some structure to this whole deal. You have Mike Kafka, a guy who had a pretty fast ascend to the ranks of possibly becoming a head coach. Whoever you put in there has to be a disciplinarian and has to be able to hold Kyler Murray accountable. And then it's about building a culture and changing the culture over there. You had a head coach who probably is one of the better offensive minds in the league but wasn't a great leader. You need a head coach who's going to be able to be that offensive mind or hire the right guys, but most importantly, set the standard when it comes to expectations over there. Uh, We'll see. There's a chance Kyler Murray might be ready to go, but uh, his game is movement and running and all that stuff. So it's going to take an adjustment for him to believe in that knee. But, uh, yeah, lots to go. I still got them finishing last in NFC West next year. The Cardinals? Yeah. What do you have as the AFC West 1, 2, 3, 4? Right now, you don't have to commit to it because I, I trust that you probably don't have the Seahawks at 1. But, uh-huh. like, subject to change in a very busy offseason that hasn't yet started, technically. As of now. As of right now. This is before before free agency, before anything. This is, like, with a, a tiny fraction of information you would actually need. As of now, I got Niners, Hawks, Rams, Cardinals. Niners, Hawks, Rams, Cardinals. I don't disagree. I'm very curious. I'm most curious about the Rams. Why Rams at three? Is it because... The two spot. That's a, that's a toss-up, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I just go Hawks because uh, it's a team I cover. I know a lot about them. Yeah. <laughs> I know. We're going to find out a lot more uh, this off season. Um, by the way, uh, we're going to talk around uh, a couple big stories in the NFL. We're going to start with uh, A.J. Green's retirement announcement, some other stuff to get to, including looking at injuries and stuff, heading into the Super Bowl, some fun prop bets. Um, but speaking of wide receiver and speaking of the Seahawks, what would getting a legit number three receiver target mean for the offense? That conversation coming up at 1245. Let's talk about not just how Seattle can hang on to their record, but how they can actually take a big step forward this upcoming season. All of that coming your way next. Live from the Alaska Airline Studio, this is Seattle Sports Station. You're listening to Bump and Stacy, Powered by Kitsap Credit Union. Taking a look around the NFL, let's start in Arizona, where Cardinals slash former Bengals wide receiver A.J. Green announced his retirement from the NFL. This comes after an 11-year career. Green has decided to retire at age 34. Seven-time Pro Bowler, 10,000 yards, 70 touchdowns. I don't think he's going to be in the Hall of Fame, but I think for an error, he was considered one of the best. From 11, 2011 to 17, he made the Pro Bowl every single year from age 23 to 29. Once you hit them 30s, mm-hmm. start to slow down a little bit. That's what we saw. What, seven seasons over 1,000 yards? I mean, this guy had a great career. Probably fell a little short of the Pro Bowl, but yeah. uh, AJ, good for you, man. 
Uh, this was from NFL headlines, but let's focus on the candidates. We talked about Kyler Murray and about the Arizona Cardinals in the NFC West. Now we're just talking head coaches. Uh, the Cardinals narrowed down their head coaching candidates to three guys, two of them from the defensive side of the ball, Brian Flores and Lou Anarumo. Do you think that the idea that only an offensive guru can tap into uh, a young, promising quarterback is a, a farce? That like you that it doesn't have to be an offensive guy because I I know um, you know when the uh, Broncos were looking for a head coach people were like well would Dan Quinn fit if he's a defensive guy and it's like well why not like if the right coach is a fit who cares leadership is leadership and if you are a defensive guy you focus on the defense and you hire the right person to help your quarterback on offense if a defensive guy gets the job with the Arizona Cardinals. Um, they're going to hire their dude. They're going to hire a quarterback coach. They're going to hire an offensive coordinator who they feel can get the job done. You got to delegate. You can't control everything. I'm okay with defensive guys getting the nod. I think that we've fallen in love with a 36-year-old offensive guy. Mm-hmm. Give these defensive guys a shot. All right, some Super Bowl injury news. The Chiefs have activated running back Clyde Edwards-Elaire. Meanwhile, wide receiver Mecole Hartman has been placed on the injury reserve. Hartman's been on and off of the injury list all year long. So, Bump, I don't know how impactful that'll be. They've got some other great receivers. What I'm curious about is Edwards-Elaire, who hasn't played since week 11 when he had a, uh, suffered a high ankle sprain. He finished third in the team in rushing yards. But at the beginning of the season, he was the like number one running back and looked pretty good and then lost his starting job so now imagine him with pacheco and mckinnon back there as well you got a three-headed monster alaire's gonna come in with fresh legs you always want some fresh legs what's gonna hurt i think Harmon's gonna hurt more than what people think uh, because a lot of times as a receiver you might not have the big numbers but you're affecting a defense so i want to see how they adjust there maybe sky Moore gets a bit more run i think he's ready to go here's the thing about the chiefs there's no one person that wins this game Actually, there is a one person, and as long as number 15 is healthy, these guys are going to be okay. All right. Well, Sean Payton, new head coach for the Denver Broncos, had his introductory press conference, rather his chance to speak with reporters, uh, today, and uh, he was asked, do you think Russell Wilson is fixable? He said, look, there are a couple positions, quarterbacks certainly one of them, that get scrutinized very well. Obviously, last year wasn't the type that he, Russell Wilson, wanted to have. And then he says, I do feel like the last couple of weeks we saw a little bit more of what we were expecting uh, or accustomed to. So he said the number one job for coaches is to evaluate players and determine what do they do well, and then let's put them in those positions. It sounds like he thinks there's still something there with Russell Wilson. Maybe he just wasn't put in the best positions or maybe didn't put himself in the best positions. Well, the last couple of weeks, uh, they lost to Kansas City 24 to 27 hours a game. And then uh, they beat the Los Angeles Chargers 31-28. Russell throws four touchdowns and two interceptions during that stretch. Russell's coming off the worst season of his career. There's no way you can look at one season of him not playing some good football and say he's cooked, he's done. You know why? Because five years in a row before that, he was in a pro bowler. You skip one year, then four more years, he was a pro bowler. The guy's thrown for over 30 touchdowns several times in this league. Maybe it was a down year. Maybe he did. Hey, he does have some soul searching to do. He needs to be in the right situation. But I'm not ready to write Russell Wilson off yet. I don't think Sean Payton is either. He wouldn't have taken his job if he thought that he was done. Yeah, that's right. Um, all right, there have been rumors that the Packers could trade Aaron Rodgers to uh, a number of teams this offseason. The Raiders have been one of those teams that's been listed in part because they are in the AFC, where the Packers wouldn't have to worry too much about competing 
against them directly. Uh, Devontae Adams, former teammate of Aaron Rodgers, was asked by Cameron Wolf, who's an NFL Network reporter, at the Pro Bowl games if he had been recruiting Aaron Rodgers to the Raiders, to which Adams said, duh. Why would anybody not do that? I mean, 100%. That's my guy. Wishful thinking, but we'll see what happens. He's going to Vegas. You think he if is? He does, if he's not in Green Bay, he's going to Vegas. Now, the problem Vegas is going to have is you were just paying one quarterback $41 million a year in Derek Carr. You have to bump that up to around 50 We'll see how you restructure that contract. You still have to sign Josh Jacobs as well. And it sounds like he's not taking the hometown discount. He's like, look, I want my money, and he should get his money because the NFL stands for not for long. You still have the number one receiver in Devontae Adams. It looks good over there. We've mentioned it plenty of times, though. You need a defense. The Raiders don't have that. But Aaron Rodgers reunited with his boy. Why not? So I thought this was interesting. It's um, from just before Saturday. So we haven't had a chance to get to it today, but uh, until today. But uh, Joe Montana had an interview with KMBR and uh, with San, Fran- a San Francisco Station. He told them when talking about the quarterback situation that it, he would start Jimmy G over either Brock Purdy or Trey Lance. He said, How many games has Jimmy won? For the longest time, questions were out with Jimmy for a while, but the one thing he's been able to do is win games for those guys. He'll make a mistake here and there, but some of those things, I just don't pit on Jimmy. Um, So it's looking right now like the 49ers are going to move on from Jimmy G. Kyle Shanahan uh, said that he doesn't see a situation where Garoppolo returns, which means right now it's just Purdy and Lance battling for the starting job. Jimmy G, 74 and 57 wins and losses. Excuse me, excuse me. 40 and 17 when it comes to wins and losses. The guy wins ball games. Well, he he doesn't lose many of them, I should say. Yeah. I don't think he necessarily puts together drives to win, but here's what he is. He's competent. He can pick up an offense. Um, he's efficient at times. 67% career completion rate. He's good enough to keep you in the game. Is he good enough to win you the game? That's what every quarterback has to do eventually. The one time he had a chance to win a Super Bowl, he just didn't do that. That's the lasting impression I have of Jimmy. But he'll be in this league for about five, six more years either way. I think he ends up for 2023. He's going to Houston. Okay, so Jimmy G to Houston. You think Aaron Rodgers is going to the Raiders. Vegas. Uh, We think Lamar's staying with Baltimore. Lamar's staying with Baltimore. What about Derek Carr? Derek Carr, who's left? The Jets. He's got the leftovers. I mean, I think the Jets would certainly be willing to spend. They'd be better with him, too. Yeah, They'd be better with Derek Carr. Yeah, they really would. Um, Bad news for Miles Garrett. Good thing his season's over, though, I guess. Uh, He limped off the field Sunday. If you guys saw this uh, during the Pro Bowl game, he's believed to have suffered a dislocated toe while competing in the games. Um, His x-rays came back negative, so... The good news is he's got a long offseason ahead. This happened in the Pro Bowl, and it's a dislocated toe as opposed to, like, a broken foot. This is – so I watched him during the uh, dodgeball deal. He was good. Then I saw him during the obstacle course because I'm waiting for, like, where did he dislocate his toe? And yeah. you see it, and he powers through. Like, he lands and pushes off it, and I, I, I feel like I – can see the moment it happens and he's so tough he pushes through i know uh okay i have one more um head coaching coordinator update and then an injury update for kansas city so we'll go coordinator update first i mentioned brian flores is a head coaching finalist for the arizona cardinals he is also being interviewed for a defensive coordinator for the denver broncos under sean payton uh he's interviewing for that coordinator job tomorrow according to ian rapaport Go to go to Denver. You got a defense Would over you there. Go Denver, DC over head coach for the Cardinals. Mm, 
Mm-mm. Now, where Brian Flores is in his in his career, he's probably going to go the head coach route. Yeah. But if you do go to Denver, you're teamed up with Sean Payton. You have a quarterback that you can work with. The defense finished just outside the top ten overall because of the last couple games. They struggled a bit. They got talent over there. I mean, if you're trying to win right now, I think you go Denver. But if you want to be, you know, the head guy in charge, go Arizona. He's probably he would probably pick Arizona over Denver. Yeah, I would think so. All right, let's get to the final injury update here from the Kansas City Chiefs. And of course, it's the biggest name everyone's watching. According to NFL Network's James Palmer, Patrick Mahomes, currently dealing with a high ankle sprain, as y'all know, is expected to be closer to 100 percent for the Super Bowl this Sunday. Um, Kansas City is going to adjust its game plan as he progresses this week. Uh, I would assume the game plan we all want to see is going to be the one that happens if he's close to 100 percent. You want to see the best version of Patrick yes, Mahomes. Absolutely. Because when you see the best version, you're going to see some things that not too many quarterbacks are capable of doing. Let's make it a good one, man. I want to see Pat Mahomes and Jalen Hurts go at it. Defense is healthy. Make this the game that we think it can be a, an exciting one. All right. The interesting thing about the Kansas City Chiefs is that a wide receiver was not their top target. In fact, wide receivers accounted for fewer than 50% of all targets, but all wide receivers had at least uh, or had multiple touchdowns. And this is a team that spreads the ball around. We've seen what happens and how deadly an offense can be when they have a lot of reliable receivers. So, what would getting a legit number three target mean for the Seahawks offense, and who could it be? That's next. Live from the Alaska Airlines Studio, this is Seattle Sports Station. You're listening to Bump and Stacy, powered by Kitsap Credit Union. All right. What we learned from Lewis Riddick coming up in 15. Lots of good stuff about Geno Smith there. Really great uh, conversation and interview he had this morning with Brock and Salk. Before we get to it, though, what would getting a legit number three wide receiver mean for the offense? Now, I know that you guys are thinking about the Seahawks offense last year and saying, what are you talking about? They don't need a number three wide receiver because they were able to utilize their tight end so effectively this year. So who really cares? But what happens not only in a world where you don't have a healthy Tyler Lockett and DK at the same time, but also like what would potentially happen in a world where they were both healthy, you had tight ends and also a great number three wide receiver, right? Like you can have it all. So what if they did Um, bump? Where do you want to start with this one? We can start uh, with like who it could be, where they could find it, or we can just talk about like, what is having that target do? Let's let's, Start with what it means to have that target, what it does existential. to We're your going real offense. Existential. Yeah. Um, so if you look at last year, Marquise Goodwin was your number three receiver. Now, Noah Fant had the third most receptions, the third most yards, and was tied for third most when it comes to touchdowns with four. But when you have a legit number three receiver, what that does for your offense, it allows them to be more of a threat in certain personnel groups. A personnel group is the offensive weapons that you come out with. Now imagine a world where you come out with a three receiver set, a one tight end set, and you know, and your third receiver is, is a legit threat. Now Marquise Goodwin was a le- legit threat. He has some big plays, a long of 38. He has nine big plays, only average around 30 yards per game. Mm-hmm. He had his big moments, but he wasn't a guy every single week to where you expected him to make a big play or two. So imagine lining up in a three by one formation and you put your tight end in that third third slot spot, boom, you got a DK isolated on the back side. You call plays according to what you think your personnel could do. 
So you have a number three receiver. It just gives you more options. It allows Shane Waldron to be more creative with his play calling. It makes defenses have to prepare a bit more. Could that guy be D. Eskridge, or could that guy be someone already on the roster? Hey, if there's anybody who's been an advocate of D. Eskridge, it's, it's been you. your boy. The last <laughs> couple years, Facts. it's been your boy. Physically, can he do it? Yeah, he can do it. Right. Anyone, anyone in the league is for. probably physically capable of doing it. But uh, you got to know the playbook. You have to make plays in practice. And most importantly, you have to be available and that's something that D. Eskers hasn't been the last couple years. So I think they do go into this draft and say, all right, let's find a diamond in the rough and find a receiver late. Uh, I was advocating for that third wide receiver to really be used more loosely as like a third pass catcher and for it to be like a Jarek McKinnon type running back. But, Bump, you you know how to plan a game plan. You know how to think like an offensive coordinator. Um me, I just look at offenses that I like and say like, oh, they have a pass catching running back and he can also run the ball. How cool is that? He's got nine touchdowns. But does it make it harder to defend when that player is in fact a true wide receiver as opposed to a tight end or running back? Yeah, because there are things receivers can do that tight ends and running backs just right. can't do. Even who's who do you think is the best receiving running back in the league right now? Uh, Kamara or McKinnon. McKinnon or, uh, or even McCaffrey, McCaffrey right? yeah. Now, those guys are great receivers at the running back spot. You can put them in the slot and have them go to work. But you got to scheme stuff up for them. You can't put them in the slot or out there as a receiver and say, okay, we're running this concept. Uh, I want you to gain leverage on this backer. Stem him at the top. You have to move the safety with your eyes. Keep it skinny. If you see a too, if you see a too high safety, I need you to split those guys. They're just tricks to the trade that a true receiver can do mm-hmm. and that allows him to maneuver across the field efficiently. With a running back, it's like, okay, we're going to get him in a swing. We'll get him on a wheel route. We'll run a nice little option. You're just limited in what you could do because that's not what they train for. That's not what they do for a living. I'm just peppering you with a lot of random questions now that I'm just thinking, uh, like, well, what about this? So now I'm wondering um, – I think that there might be some people listening saying, well, if you want to be a balanced offense or if you want to be the offense that Pete Carroll might want to see, maybe you don't need that guy. Does having the third wide receiver also make it easier to be the offense Pete Carroll might want to be? Or it's like, uh, it doesn't matter. It makes you an effective offense. I don't think it's, I don't think this offense doesn't go if they don't have a third receiver. If they don't have a legit, this is our guy, I think the offense can still go. Why? Because of, what you mentioned, you got tight ends. They use their tight ends a bit more. And you can have a filler, right? You had a filler in Marquis Goodwin as that third yeah. receiver, and he still made some plays. This offense still got going. There's nothing like having a legit number three, but I think because of the way this offense is built with the tight ends and the way they run the football, um, it's not life or death if you don't have a guy to hold that spot down every single snap when you have that personnel out there. I am, though, and I'm sure you think of it this way, too. Counting, there are two things that can take this offense to the next level. I am tacking on that the offensive line continues to play well. So mm-hmm. obviously the offensive line mm-hmm. makes or breaks this. But uh, one would be a, a true two running back situation where both guys can be great. And two would be adding another great target Say or pass again. catcher. Excuse me. Come I think in. there are two things that kind of take this offense to the next right. level. So if we're talking about like, okay, hey, you were a top five scoring offense for a while, but then you kind of dipped and then you struggled. I think if you want to be like, no, you can take on any team with this offense. Mm-hmm. The two things that can help you most are if both of your running backs are really solid 
and potential starters. So you have that good one two punch of like, um, you know, like what they had in Cleveland for a while with Nick Chubb right. uh, and Hunt or whatever. Or you have a great third wide receiver. Like a, a yeah. someone who's getting a good like six hundred yards, like a yeah. thousand for Tyler and DK, and then six hundred for this guy. Yeah, no, I take the running backs. Yeah, I take the running back one two combo is something beautiful, and that's just the style that they play. The Hawks don't play a style spread them out, let's throw it all across the yard type of style. That's when a third receiver is crucial. Even a fourth receiver, because sometimes you'll come out in ten personnel and say tight ends, you guys stay on the sideline. I'm going to throw some some fast guys out there, but I, I look at. So I'm looking up the most prolific offenses when it comes to passing this year. And obviously you got the Chiefs, the Bills, the Eagles, the Lions, and San Fran. Let's go to the Chiefs. You look at their situation at receiver. They don't have a true third receiver. They got Travis Kelsey and a bunch of guys that that fill in and run this thing. Why does it work over there? Because their offense is based on throwing the football and tossing it across the yard and spreading it around. Mm-hmm. That's just not what the Hawks do. They want to pack it in. They do want to throw it, but they want to bootleg. They want to come out two tight ends, three tight ends, two receivers. That's just not what they do. So a third receiver will help this offense. But I think that if they were to ride with a, a Marquise Goodwin type mm-hmm. of dude at that number three spot, you get 400 yards and four touchdowns out of him, you're good. You guys know how if you're late to work, you can't get an iced coffee? Like, you can get a hot coffee, but if you get an iced coffee, it's going to be, like, jingling and jangling all the way down the hallway. Curtis, you know, because every time I'm late, you immediately are, like, listening for, like, the, the jingling of the ice in my iced coffee. And you're like, here's Stacy coming in at Check Swatch 905. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Okay, well, I was on my way from getting my iced coffee this morning while running late to work. And I was in the car, and uh, Brock and Salk were talking with Lewis Riddick. And it was a phenomenal interview. And during the interview, I'm driving down the road drinking my coffee, and he is asked, Lewis Riddick, about, hey, would you rather have um, Gino or Drew with two great defenders? And Lewis's answer to this made me go, wow, Mm. ooh, as I was driving in. Anyways, I can't wait to play it for you guys. That's coming up next.